just ask everybody just to hold your hands out like this to the Lord this morning. If you need healing in your body this morning, you hear an amazing testimony to the healing power of God today. And if you need healing, I just want you to raise your hand and hold it up. Okay, we've got three or four people. Now, if you're near one of those people, I want you to just lay your hands on them right now. Just put your hands on them. And the rest of you hold your hands out in that posture as if you're going to receive from the Lord this morning. Just put your hand on those people. And we're going to agree right now for healing in their bodies. Father, we just thank you for the testimony of your healing power today. And Father, we stand in agreement with those who have hands raised, Lord, that are declaring they have a physical need in their body today. They have a physical need that God is robbing them from health. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we agree. We lend our faith to their faith. And we ask God for you to work a miracle right now in their lives and in their bodies. Father, we pray for sickness and disease. Father, we pray for cancer. And Father, for uh, a, a realignment of bones. And Father, uh, tendons. And Father, all kinds of work in the, in the heart. And in Father, lungs and in God, organs of the body right now in Jesus' name for Lord you to do a work in their lives because God you are our healer father you heal Debbie father you can heal any one of us we simply need to trust in Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith and father we agree together right now for healing in Jesus name in Jesus name hallelujah lift your hands and praise to the Lord this morning Thank you, mighty God. He's our healer, amen? He's our healer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, in this place today, we thank you for all that we've heard, all that we've seen all the Father that we've witnessed and experienced. Father, we just ask now that you'd also speak to us through your word. Father, we've come here today because, Lord, we, we love you. We want to worship you. We also, Father, want to hear from you. We want to <clears throat> hear the declaration of your truth. And so, Father, we look to you today for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have your Bible? Hold your Bible up if you got it. Come on, hold it up, hold it up. Mine's in my bag down there. I forgot to bring it up here. But if you got your phone, your Bible's on your phone, hold your phone up. It'll, it'll work because I got three versions of the Bible on my phone. All right, there it is. Thank you very much. All right, everybody hold this up. Everybody say this way. This, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I can have. I do what it says I can do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Isn't that the truth? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Wow. All right, so crack those Bibles open to John chapter 15 this morning. John 15. Praise the Lord. John 15, we read this. Starting in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Catch this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Father, we just thank you for your scripture today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand the depth of the meaning of the words of our Savior as he spoke to his disciples and he spoke to us. Father, that you would, Father, make your word come alive to our hearts. And Father, we would recognize that we are who it says we are, and we can, in fact, have what it says we can have, and we can do everything that it says we can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago, I said to a pastor friend of mine, because I'd had this revelation, uh, that God is vulnerable. Pastor friend said to me, he said, no, 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 no. He said, come on now. God is not vulnerable. God is all-powerful. How can an all-powerful being be vulnerable? And I said, it's easy. God is vulnerable to our desires. In the same way that, you know, you take this big lumberjack dude and his little three-year-old daughter walks up and says, Daddy, come and drink tea with me. And the big lumberjack gets down in a chair that's made for somebody that's only, you know, three feet uh, tall, and he sits down with his knees way up in the air, and he holds his teacup in his little hand, and he drinks a cup of tea, and at that moment is in the most vulnerable, uh, unlumberjackish posture that you could possibly imagine. And if the guys that work saw him, they'd probably go, what is he doing? But he's made himself vulnerable to the desires of his little three-year-old daughter. Our Heavenly Father is vulnerable to our desires in the exact same way. That when we come to God and we have needs, we have uh, problems, we have uh, concerns, we have cares, we have uh, joys, things that we're celebrating, and we lay them at the feet and we mention them to Jesus, Jesus' heart is vulnerable to the heart of humanity. Someone say amen. amen. And the God of creation makes himself, postures himself as vulnerable to you and to I. Now, we've been talking about living as sons and daughters of the king, and I don't want to take away from the fact that you are sons and daughters. In fact, in a couple of weeks, I'll be reinforcing this in greater detail once again. But this morning, I want us to see that not only are we sons and daughters of the king, but God has invited us as, as his friends as well. You know, sometimes you can't pick family, but you get to choose your friends. Well, the Bible says that Jesus not only chose us as family and adopted us through his son, but Jesus said, you didn't choose me. What? I chose you, and I call you my friend. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm a friend of God. He likes me. Come on, tell him, I'm a friend of God, and he likes me. Amen. Yeah. Everybody start, everybody turn to the person saying, he likes me more than you. (laughs) 
dangerous quote to get people to make here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This text this morning points out that Jesus, as he was taking the disciples on a journey with him, he pointed out that, you know, you're no longer uh, servants, but I've made you my friend. Now, you got to understand, he hasn't went to the cross yet, so the adoption process to be brought in as sons has not been completed, but it was in the heart of God that we would move from servants to friends, to be brought into a place where God spoke to us and shared things with us and communed with us as a close friend. And that we would have a relationship with him where God is able to share those things with us. And I want to elaborate on what that relationship looks like this morning. I want us to understand what it is that Christ was inviting his disciples to and what we've been invited into even more so because you are uh, not just somebody who's sitting on the outside looking in, but you're a child of God and you are a friend of God. And that means that God likes to spend time with you. He loves to spend time with you. God chooses to spend time with you. Now, you might look in the mirror and not even like spending time with yourself, but God likes to spend time with you. God enjoys being with you. And it's important that we understand that because the second thing we need to grasp today, and we're going to get in this message, is that he wants you and I involved in the process of changing the world and establishing the future. He invites us to come in and sit down with him, and and he befriends us, and he gathers us unto himself. Why? So that we can sit down with him, and like pinky in the brain, we can develop plans for taking over the world. Are you hearing me? Isn't it great how a cartoon can, you can, people know exactly what you mean when you share a reference to a cartoon. Amen. (laughs) You know, when God was going to destroy Israel in the wilderness, he did a really interesting thing. He consulted with Moses. Did you ever notice that in scripture? Moses reminded God that he's the one that led the people out of Egypt, that he's the one whose reputation is on the line here, not Moses. And Moses reminds God that, that, you know, he needs to give consideration to what people will say if you bring these people out of the wilderness, you deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh, and then you smote them. Do you guys remember that in the scripture? And so Moses has this conversation with God. And now in Bible college, we spent hours and hours and hours debating whether, you know, Moses was actually changing the mind of God when God already has, you know, predetermined the, the, the beginning and the end. And, and all of these conversations we had about determinism and the will of man and all of that kind of stuff. How many have ever had those conversations with somebody? Uh, and how many of you know what I'm talking about? And we had all those conversations. And yet I think we missed the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is that God invited Moses into his counsel. That God expected the outcome of the future of Israel to be influenced by his conversation with a man. We miss the fact that the story is about Moses being brought into a place of communion with the Father where the God, where the God of the universe says, Moses, I'm so frustrated with the people This is what I think I should do. And Moses is able to remind him, and we get debating all about the memory and all the rest of it, and we miss the fact that Moses was given an opportunity to save the world as he was brought into the counsel of God. 
I find that absolutely fascinating. The covenant friends of God throughout history have seemed to have a common awareness that God expected them to be involved in the demonstration of his will. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, that these individuals walked with God in such a way that they, they seemed to understand that I have the ear of God and that he anticipates that our relationship together should have an influence in how the future of history evolves. They seem to be aware of this fact. God's will, this teaches us, is not always focused on events, but it's focused on his friends. And drawing his friends into intimate relationship and communion with him so that we can fulfill a delegated role of serving humanity and changing the world. Someone say amen. Therefore, the will of God isn't, isn't some static thing that we, th- we look at and we see as fixed from the beginning of history to the end. It's fluid. It's, it's influenced and worked through the relationship that he has with humanity. You might think it a flawed plan, but God's plan is that he works out the rest of history from the time of Christ on the cross and his resurrection forward that he would work out history through the church, through his people. God has a plan to work through us. Do you understand the significance of that? And that he's called us into relationship and communion with him to literally change the outcome of the world. And if we miss this point, if we get so stuck on whether God's foreknowledge is determinative or whether it's passive, right, whether he's making things happen or whether he's simply watching them happen and all those kinds of arguments, we miss the fact that he wants you to be part of his decision-making processes and changing the outcome of humanity. We miss the fact that God is saying, come with me, labor with me, and we together can change the world. And when people have gotten a hold of that, when they've taken a hold of that from God, they have changed the world. The early disciples took a hold of that truth. They walked with relationship with, with, uh, with Jesus, and they were so close with Jesus, such communion with Jesus, and had such a, a, a belief that, that they had been called to literally preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and see the ends of the earth change, that they literally, 12 men went out, and literally all of history was completely disrupted by the ministry of these men. You hear me? And then as you walk through history, you can see everybody likes to talk about the Enlightenment in the 15 through 1700s, and they seem to forget that the Enlightenment seemed to walk very closely in parallel with the Reformation. You ever notice that? That what brought humanity out of the Dark Ages wasn't just a few scientists, but it was the Word of God being released and preached, and and not just in Latin anymore, but in English and in French and in the common man's tongue, and that men went and women went around the world spreading the gospel, preaching the word of God, and lives were changed. 
And many of those great scientists enjoyed the benefit of being liberated from a church that told them that the earth was flat and that this was the way it was and everything else to a, a revival that took place and shook the hearts of men and all kinds of people found Christ and then found the mysteries of God in Christ and were able to dive into science and all kinds of other things and explain the understanding of the universe. Why? Because they had an encounter with God. Just dig into some of the history of these people. Sir Francis Bacon, Johann Kepler, many others. These, these people were influenced deeply by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet were some of the greatest scientific minds that ever came along. You see, the church has been there. And then we look at the beginning of, of the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the Pentecostal revival that broke out around the world. And today, Charismatics and Pentecostals form the greatest number of Christians in the world, and we've only been around for a little over 100 years. Someone turned to the person beside and said, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. Amen? <laughs> uh, you guys remember Solomon in the Old Testament? God gave him an opportunity to have whatever he wanted. Remember that? He, was, he just said to Solomon, you know, whatever you wish. And Solomon, what did he choose? Remember? He said, I'll have wisdom so I can rule the people better. Wow. God said, well, because you asked for something so selflessly, I'll give you the wisdom and I'll bless you as well. Right? You guys remember that story? Well, did you know that the promises that we have from Jesus are even more outlandish than what God gave to Solomon? Did you know that? Could I put just a few of them up on the screen for you here this morning? Whoops, here we go. I got a little ahead of myself. Okay, come on. Isn't that sad? All right, I'll just read them to you because I can't seem to find them. All right. <clears throat> Check these words out. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Then a little later in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John 14, verses 12 to 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Did you catch that? If you have faith in Jesus, you'll do what Jesus has been doing. What had Jesus been doing? Walking around, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, right? Un unloosing the, 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 the tongues and the mouths of people that were mute, right? Helping the lame to walk. Was he not doing that, right? And then he said, you will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Don't look at me like that. It's in, it's in the Bible. I'm just, I'm just quoting Scripture. John 16, 23 and 24. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So in other words, I'm not going to be here anymore. So you won't be asking me, me for anything anymore because I'm going to be gone. But you're going to ask the Father in my name and, you're going to, and it's going to be done. 
Until now, he said, you've not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, I could go on and on reading verses like this. Now you say, yeah, but that's just John. John wrote all that stuff down. Okay, you're right. John wrote it down. Jesus said it. Hello? Jesus said it. John didn't say it. John recorded it. Jesus said it. So for us to really understand what Jesus was offering the church in these verses, I think it's important, though, that we don't embrace some kind of a cheap and shallow understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't think he was making these statements to somebody who was on the periphery. He was making it to the people that he had invited to come into his council and change the world. He was making these statements to the disciples. And, and when it comes to you and I, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's this, that word faith stuff, right? Blab it and grab it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, name it and claim it. You know, the reality is, is that that concept, that way of speaking is spoken by people who don't understand the depth of relationship Jesus was inviting us into. And that if we came into the counsel of his being and we came to know him and to experience him the way Jesus wants us to know him and experience him, that literally in that relationship, we could ask whatever we desired and it would be done for us. It's not just something that everybody in the society can go out and just willy-nilly grab it. No, this is a promise made to those that he invited into his intimate counsel, and then he invites us into that thing, that counsel, that place, that relationship as well. As friends of God, therefore, what is he doing in that moment? As I started off this message, he's making himself, the creator of the universe, vulnerable to our desires. As we come into relationship with him, God's heart is moved by our heart and he responds by his grace because he's moved with compassion. He's moved by the things in our heart to do the things that are in our heart. In other words, you ready for this? If it matters to you, it matters to him. Turn to the person beside you and say, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Come on. Now, there's a verse hidden in the Old Testament that reinforces this, and it's always been one of my favorites, in Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. And it says this. It says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Okay, that's pretty good. Then the next verse, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, there was in Psalm, uh, way back in the scriptures, in Psalm 37, verse 4, God was, was basically telling us how it was going to unfold when Jesus came and when we were able to walk in the kind of intimacy that the psalmist was even declaring hundreds of years before. He was letting us know that if we will come into relationship and communion with him, if we'll draw close to him, if we will bring our heart and marry it to the heart of God, that God's heart will be vulnerable to our desires and he will give us the desires of our heart. That's an amazing truth. 
We often talk about how important the first part of this verse is, delight yourself in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, go after God. And we manage to preach that and totally miss the second half of the verse when he says, and if you do that, I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's just another one of those verses that challenges us because it so often doesn't match our experience. It challenges us because we look and we say, oh God, I don't really think I'm seeing all the desires of my heart met. Right? It's a challenge for us. But I believe that God is waiting for us to draw so close to him that we have his heart all the time. And that when we are walking in a relationship with him where, where we're communing with him and where we're fellowshipping with him, that our heart is being so shaped by God and that the desires of our heart are shifting from things which are carnal to things which are eternal. And then God begins to allow uh, through that relationship and that communion all the desires of our heart to be fulfilled. Are you understanding what he's talking about? So God is inviting us as his friends today to come into a relationship with him where we're so closely connected to God that God is able to share with us his plans, his desires, his will for changing the world. And then we become conduits of his glory. We become people through whom God can move and he can do and he can exercise his plan and his will for the earth. And when humanity has drawn close to God, you've seen how entire history is shaped by humanity when they draw close to God. Even our own history here in Canada. Oh, sure, there's, there's those who are here for conquest, and there are those who are here to subjugate other people, and there was war, and there was all that other kind of stuff. But there were there were people who had one and one desire only, and that was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our parliament buildings are covered in Scripture. Did you know that? Etched in stone over 100 years ago. The, the gospel of Christ, even the name, you know, Canada is actually, the name of our country isn't Canada. It's the dominion of Canada. And that our, our, our name came out of the Scripture out of a man's devotion as he walked into Parliament Hill and they were debating what the country was going to be called and he said, you know, it should be called the dominion of Canada for he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And isn't that Canada? Sea to sea and from the St. Lawrence River to the end of the earth, the North Pole. That's Canada. And he took that right out of the scripture and that's, that's our country, folks. And I hear people say, well, you know, but Canada's never had a revival. And well, you know, I don't know if that's really true. You ever heard of North Battleford, Saskatchewan? You ever hear about the poor, um, move of God that was poured out in 1948 in North Battleford, Saskatchewan and spread all over the world? And in fact, if you go to Portland, Oregon today, you'll find a, a church there. And that church directly traces back to the revival from uh, North Battleford. And that the whole denomination that those boys, uh, the Portland, Oregon boys, uh, you know who I mean, Multnomah group. Uh, what's the name of their actual Dick Iverson? And I can't remember any of the name of it. 
But those guys all trace their roots to that and the, and the revival of the fivefold ministry gifts that came out of that, and it all came out of Canada. Then, then back in the 90s, this thing happened in Canada. What was that? Uh, let me think. What was that? Oh, what's the name of that city, Mark? Help me out again. Toronto, the Toronto Blessing. Yes. Yes. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, a little place up the road that, that literally people came from all over the world. And, and literally revival fire spread all over the world. You might say, well, how much? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you that every continent on earth has been touched by the Toronto revival and the Toronto blessing. I was in, I was in Budapest, uh, and I was teaching at a, a Bible school in Budapest. And um, the students said to me, you know, what are you doing tonight? And one of them could speak English. The rest of them were, I had to work through a translator the whole time. It was very interesting. And uh, Hungarian is an incredibly interesting language. Uh, you know, they told me that it was the language of heaven. And I said, how do you know that? And they said, because it takes an eternity to learn it. <laughs> and I, I looked at it, I, I could believe it. Uh, it was very, very complex. And so we, we got, you know, talking and the guy said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I said, I don't know. Any, and I was wearing a, I think it was a pin on my coat of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He said, you want to go to Toronto? I said, what? He goes, Toronto, um, Toronto Blessing. You want to go Toronto Blessing tonight in Budapest? Uh, sure. So we got on a bunch of subways and streetcars, and we ended up at this arena that sat like five, 6,000 people, and we went in, and they had a whole front row for me to sit in as a, as a visitor with headsets translating into every language of the world, and they had just gotten back from a, a church trip to Jerusalem where they rented, I think it was two or three 747s, and filled them full of people from their own church and did tours of the Holy Land, and these people were experiencing an incredible revival that started as a Toronto blessing. Amen? Come on now. But there's never been any moves of God in Canada. Are you hearing me? And literally, I, you know, Heidi Baker was here just a few years ago. And Heidi and Roland Baker showed up at Toronto Airport. And they were broken people who were ready to leave the ministry. And they'd been pastoring for years. And they were bruised. And they were wore out. And then God touched their hearts, and they fell on their faces before the Lord. And they said, God, we'll go anywhere you ask us to go. We'll go to the poorest of the poor. We'll go anywhere. And, and they, they literally ended up in Mozambique because they looked up what was the poorest country in the world, and it said it was Mozambique, and so they went there. And Heidi and Roland Baker have now planted literally hundreds of churches, established dozens of orphanages, feeding thousands of children every single day and seeing miracle after miracle after miracle because they took a hold of this truth that if we'll get a hold of the heart of God, that God will invite us into a place of relationship and communion with him and he'll release through our hearts the desires of our heart. And you can say, God, give me, like Heidi, give me Mozambique and he'll give you Mozambique. Are you hearing me this morning? And that's what God does. But he doesn't do it just willy-nilly. That's why the whole blab it, grab it thing and name it, claim it. You know, I don't, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God will do anything for a people who have the heart of God. That's the key. 
That's the key. Hallelujah. I'm really getting off script here this morning, so let me just keep going. You see, we have to understand that God hasn't just programmed you with a bunch of stuff that he wants you to do. Instead, he invites you into a, a relationship with him where we can discover the things that please him and what the secrets of his heart are, and then we can exercise those on earth. And in the exercise of those things on earth, we can ask anything in his name and he'll do it. I remember reading George Mueller's testimony, and he, as he built the orphanages, he moved to England and he built orphanages in England and uh, literally saved hundreds of kids off the streets when the plague wiped them out and, uh, and fed all these kids. And he kept extensive diaries of all the things that he asked God for. And every one of them is checked off, checked off. And he would be specific. God, we need 13 pairs of shoes. I need 16 sacks of flour. I need this. I need that. All of those things. And those journals are well documented. They're still there. You can go and uh, you, can, you can see them there. And he wrote all those things. That one person said to him once, you know, did God ever not answer one of your prayers? And he said, no. He always came through. He answered every single one of my prayers. And they said to him, what is the key to having every single prayer you ever prayed answered? And he said, it's simple. I never asked for anything for myself. You see, he walked in such a relationship with God that his heart, like God's heart, was moved for others. It was moved by compassion for the world around him. And so when he got to his knees and he started to call to God, it was always for the things that he saw in front of him that needed God more than he needed something else. And he would ask God and God would give it to him. And he was faithful to recount every single one of those things. Some people say, well, if you're saying this, that, that God does and he, and he moves and he responds simply to, to our prayers and to what we say, doesn't that kind of affect the whole sovereignty of God thing? Doesn't God have it all planned out from the beginning and he's going to do what he's going to do when he wants to do it? And here's the thing. I think that God is so sovereign that he's not threatened by appearing to be unsovereign when he works through us. Does anybody understand that? I think that God's so secure in who he is and in his incredible sovereignty that he's willing to make himself vulnerable to the hearts of humanity, and he's not concerned about his reputation and how that will make him look. I think God's big enough for that. And I think that God desires for us to get so close to him that he can work through us. Jack Hayford said he's so secure in his sovereignty, he's not afraid to appear unsovereign. And I agree with Jack. Way to go, Jack. Now, did you know the word desire is actually made as a compound word? And it's a compound word of the word de, which is of, and sire, which means father. pretty cool, eh? So originally, when we talk about desires, God says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's the things that are of the Father. Of Father. So the question shouldn't be, then, are my desires from God? The question should be, who am I hanging out with? Because you become like what you behold. You become like what you spend time with. 
So if you spend all your time hanging around people and circumstances and situations that shape your life in a way that your desires will not be of God, hello, then you're going to find that probably your prayers are not going to be the ones that you're going to see answered. But if you take to heart the scripture that says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person's countenance sharpen another. And the Bible talks about who you spend time with and talks about, you know, come out from among them and be separate. It doesn't mean don't live in the world, but it means don't be like the world. It means instead guard your heart and your mind and spend time with him. And if we'll spend time with him, if we will do that, if we'll spend communion with him, then guess what? If I communion with God more than I communion with the enemy, I'm going to think more like God than I'm going to think like the enemy. Amen? And if I think more like God, then I can anticipate that the things and the desires of my life are going to be shaped by that relationship with God. And then I'm going to be able to ask anything that I desire in his name. And because the desire is of the Father, it's going to happen. Amen? Wow. I don't know. I I thought that was better than that. Come on. Right there. Amen. (laughs) So if I invest my time, you know, just invest, and it doesn't, let's please understand. I'm not saying you can't watch a football game. You can't, you know, go out with your friends and, I don't know, play backgammon or any other silly thing. That, that, that's not the point. It's not the point. The point is, what has your heart? What has your heart? What has your heart? It's not complicated. What? Who has your heart? You know, I, I meet Christians and they say, well, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm a Christian, but, well, do you pray? Well, you know, once in a while. You read the Bible? Well, no, it's kind of boring. Oh, what kind of Christianity is that? And not because we religiously, I don't read the Bible because it's a religious obligation. I don't pray because I'm religiously obligated. I did that. I was raised Catholic and I did those things out of religious obligation. No, I do it because I want my heart to be shaped by God. And it goes the same for people I hang around and and the things that I occupy my time with. I want to be shaped. I want to be shaped so that I think like God. So that I, 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 I play like God. Play like God? Yes. I think God has a sense of humor. He made some of you. I mean, come on. Hello? Just look at the person beside you and say, he's got a sense of humor. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but my point is, is that if, if, if we call ourselves Christians, and, and you know, the term derived in the town of Antioch, and it was actually originally a put down. Did you know that? It was a put-down. It, it, it meant little Christ. They called us Christians. Little Christ. And they, they were kind of trying to mock the people of God, but it stuck. And today, that's what we are. To be Christian is to be a little Christ. It isn't to belong to a specific denomination. It doesn't mean I've been baptized. It doesn't mean that I'm on some church's honor roll. It doesn't mean that I have a certain head knowledge of doctrines. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ. 
is to be a walking, talking, breathing representation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is to be somebody who walks around and finds my relationship and my identity and my life wrapped up in his and who has accepted his invitation as a friend to come into his council and to literally change the world. That's what being a Christian is. That's it. Anglican, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, on and on and on it goes. That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is being a little Christ. Now, nobody in here does it perfectly. My wife comes close, but nobody else in the room does it perfectly. That much I can tell you. Nobody does. But the invitation of God is not to be perfect, but to be perfected. He invites us into this relationship with him. And the Bible says when it says be ye perfect, the, the word in Greek means an ongoing process. So be ye perfected is what it means. Be in a place where God is able to change you every day and make you more like himself. That's what being perfected is. I'm not perfect. I occasionally vent at people who don't know how to drive. <laughs> True, been known to happen. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, stupid people still bother me. I'm asking God for more grace. But I r routinely run into that, and I have to ask Jesus for another level of grace. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you are saying, yes, that's an area where God's perfecting me as well. Just being a little transparent with you here today. You know, as Paul said, not that I've already arrived or consider myself to have obtained all these things. He said, but, everybody say, but. but. I press on toward the mark of high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. And a Christian is somebody who's working on it, who's being perfected into the image of Christ. Hallelujah. Let me conclude this morning. I'm out of time. Two minutes left, Mark. <laughs> uh, for too long, I think, believers have discounted their desires because their desires haven't been of God. And so they've discounted them and said, well, when the Bible says he'll give you the desires of his heart, like, it wasn't talking about me. He is talking about you. And, and we're uniquely different because there's a variety of things that God wants to do in the earth. He doesn't want his Christianity to look like a cookie cutter. So as we all draw near to him, we're all unique in him in a very different way. And God has given some people connections in the business world and some people in the educational world and some people in the government world and some people in the, you know, entertainment industry and in all different areas of life. But as Christians, no matter what area we work in, no matter what area we serve in, no matter what area we are operating in, God has called us to act like little Christ there. And to bring ourselves into alignment with him so that our desires are like him, of the Father. And that when they are, God will give us the desires of our heart. What does that look like? Well, you're at work. 
person beside you is going through a difficult, difficult time. Your desires, you recognize, need to be are of the Father. What would the Father's desire be for that person? That they would find the help and the grace there is in Him. So you begin to pray for them. You begin to talk to them. You begin to you know, ask them questions. You are more interested in them than you are in your own situation. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? They want to hear what you have to say. And then you're able to tell them about the Lord, and they end up finding God, and you and Jesus working together have produced fruit from seed. The seed of faith produces fruit. And all of a sudden, this person comes to Christ. And now there's another one on the team. You see, if we would get a hold of this truth, then we'd realize that that the kingdom of God is always growing, always expanding. You know one of the things I absolutely hate about communism and socialism? Can I be honest with you? I don't like this about it. Is because it looks at everything from the lens of there being a limited amount of anything. There's just this pie. And, and if one person gets a bigger piece of the pie, it means that somebody else has to get a smaller piece. But if there's anything that economics has taught us through the years is that the pie is always growing. Always. Just like the population is growing, the pie grows. And just because Mark gets a bigger piece doesn't mean Mark gets a smaller piece. Both people can have a big piece. That is economics. And, and when the socialist lens, the communist lens says, no, 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 there's only so much to go around, so we have to find a way to equally apportion it out. Wrong. If we instead would get a hold of the God in whom the increase of his government, there is no end, and we would latch a hold of him, then we would recognize that God is always doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even imagine, because why? He's a bountiless God. There is no limit in him. And it doesn't mean, you know, for, for Desert Stream to grow doesn't mean another church can't grow. How many know there's lots of people that need Jesus in the city, right? You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is if we get a hold of God and we start thinking this way like God thinks, then we behold to see great things happen. When I was uh, a young man, uh, before I was a Christian, I read one author who has continued to influence my life to this day. Guess who that person is? Thank you. And so... I read, I read as a kid, I read the Chronicles of Narnia, and I got to the last book, The Last Battle. How many have ever read The Last Battle? Let me see your hands. The rest of you, shame on you. Okay, so I got to the, to the last battle, and, and in The Last Battle, he talks about the, the, the four kids from the beginning in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe are now adults, and they're, they're in Narnia, and they've been fighting. And so anyway, they've won this war, and now at the end, they're being invited by God to the eternal rest. And so they... They come into to, to, you know, England and they look around and as they look up at the top of the hill, you know, in the middle, in the center of it all, they see this mountain of God and they go and there's a wall there and, and they hear Aslan's voice calling out to them saying, higher up and further in. And they respond to the call and they go higher up and then they see this wall there and they open the door and the wall and when they walk in, what's on the inside is bigger than the outside. And they hear the voice again say, higher up and further in. And, and that is a picture that Lewis was trying to help us understand that when we come into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. 
that when you stand on the outside of the church looking in, you think the church is some small, constricted body of people that, has, that is irrelevant to the world and all the rest of it. But then when you come in, you hear the voice of God say, higher up and further in. And the deeper you go in, the more you realize that there's more on the inside than there is on the outside. You realize that what God is doing is so great that it can't possibly be contained by walls. And as we begin to realize this revelation of who God is, then it shapes our thinking and we find ourselves every day expecting God to do bigger and greater things as he calls us higher up and further in. That's the call of the scripture. So what's God inviting us to do then today as Christians? Well, when I was a kid, I used to have a lot of crazy dreams, and I used to imagine myself doing a lot of things, but I discovered that most of my dreams and most of the things I wanted to do, I used to sit in my house at my, parent, with my parents' home, of course, and, uh, you know, and I used to smoke my weed, and, and I used to listen to my rock and roll, and I used to dream about being a world-famous musician. The only thing I had down was the hair. Couldn't sing and couldn't play the guitar, but I was going to be world famous because I had the hair. I know you guys are trying to have a hard time picturing that right now, but I did have the hair. And so I used to have this dream, and then, then I came to Christ. And you know what I discovered? Uh, I discovered that when I crossed the gate of salvation, that my dreams had been small and selfish. And I never did become a rock star, and I never did really learn to play the guitar very well, and I certainly still can't sing very well. But the things that are in my heart now, I've done so many of them, it actually shocks me. And I've, I've, I've had the privilege in God of, of doing things that I never dreamed of when I was younger. And I see God not only changing the desires of my heart, but giving me the desires of my heart. Does everybody understand that? And as we come into communion with God and we allow him to shape the desires of our heart and move us from being small and petty and selfish to being big and literally extroverted to the world, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. And the things that are in my heart today I still have big dreams in my heart, and I still think I'm going to accomplish a good number of them. Will I accomplish them all? Well, depends on how long I live. <laughs> if I got, you know, if I get 200 years in God, I might get them all done right now. But that's really not the issue. The issue is, is that I keep dreaming, and the things that I dream, God's able to bring to pass. And I don't focus on the dreams that I haven't got yet, per se. I focus on what God is doing right now and what he has done, and I give him praise. And I accept his invitation to dream some more. Amen? How many know what I'm talking about this morning? If you agree with me this morning, stand in this place. Now, I know we're talking about being sons and daughters of the king, and I'm not taken away from that this morning, but you've also been invited as a friend to come into the counsel of God and to dream with him. And God wants to fulfill your dreams, but God wants your dreams to be desires of the Father. 
And so he says, if you would just take and lay aside the, the small things, the little things, and you get a hold of something in me that's big, I can do that. I can do that. And I don't know about you, but if you've got a dream here this morning, and you're saying, Pastor, I would like you to pray for my dream this morning. I think it's of God. I think it's of the Father. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is. But I want that kind of relationship you're talking about so that I can draw near to him and he gives me the desires of my heart. I want you to come on up the front here right now with me and just stand with me this morning. I'm up here because I've got some dreams that I need God to fulfill yet. And so I'm here. They could be dreams about some kind of a business opportunity. They could be dreams about your future, your work. Could be dreams about a, a spouse that you're looking for. Could be dreams for your children. Could be dreams for, you know, grandchildren. Could be anything. But you're saying, I have some dreams in my heart this morning, God. And I want those dreams to see them come to pass. I want you to come up. Now, if you have somebody up here that you care about deeply, come on up and stand with them this morning and agree with them this morning in prayer. You know, I'm just looking down. John, it's good to have you here this morning. Come on up here, John. John's a dreamer. You know that? John's a dreamer. You guys know John. I've known John for a long time. I know John since he got saved. Came back to God. Yeah. And had a you were pretty much Christian <laughs> he had a Christian band that he was in with my old buddy Brad Much and Kelly and and I had them come on up and play at our Ottawa Valley Youth Camp and Boy, did I get looks for this rock and roll band I brought to the camp. <laughs> but you know, God, more God, John laid his heart on the altar of God, and he began to say, God, I want to be close to you, and I want my dreams to be your dreams. Then God was able to go, bam, and put dreams in his heart about broken walls and what he's doing today, and then accelerate it so that every year he's doing more and more amazing things. Why? Because he's, he's walking with God. And I'm going to have John as somebody who's been part of this with me. And Sherry, would you come on up here too, dear? Stand with me. And I could have entire eldership and people come on up here. But, but John is somebody who I've known since long before Desert Stream. And uh, I remember when you and your wife were traveling, you called me and Lindsay said, uh, we got no place to stay tonight. Can we stay at your house? Gosh, sure, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> traveling through and, and not knew that he had a heart for God but not sure what that life mission was going to be yet and yet God revealed it to him and, and able to walk that journey out with him all these years is something that is more precious to me than money or fame or glory or anything else but to be able to walk with somebody who's seen God work his heart through him and so, John, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just stretch your hands out over this congregation this morning and to pray and to release the dream of God in the hearts and the lives of these people this morning. And, uh, and I believe there's an anointing on you this morning to release that into that with you. Thank you, mighty Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come to you in our weakness. Mm -hmm. Lord, recognizing our weakness because sometimes you get thinking, oh, we're there, we've arrived. Mm. But Lord, it's in our weakness that your strength just fills us. 
pray that you would open our hearts and minds mm -hmm. to clearly hear and to see, Lord, what you have planned for us. Lord. Yes, Jesus. And Lord, that you will show us how beautiful it is when your desires are our desires mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and ours are yours, Lord. Mm -hmm. Lord, I thank you that your desires in us are fresh and new every day. Yes. Lord, that as we wake up in the morning that we aren't, we aren't turning our back on those things, but we're seeing things fulfilled. And when the enemy comes in and he tries to thwart what God is doing, that you don't allow that, that you hunker down, that you listen to God's voice, you reach out for his voice, yes. and you allow him to speak to you and to stir you up. Mm -hmm. And so by the laying on of hands all around, everybody yes, put your yes. hand on the person beside you. Just, the scripture says by the laying on of hands, we stir it up right yes, now. Lord. We stir up the gift of God within each and every one of you that, that his future for you will be released in yes, you right Lord. now by the power, the name, and the blood of Jesus. We yes. stir it up. We stir it up, Lord. Lord, in all of our weaknesses and the mistakes that we've made, the enemy is always there to try and remind you, to try and pull you back mm -hmm. from all he wants to do. Mm -hmm. But today God is saying, rely on me. Rely on me and we're going to step over. We're going to yes. break those things that the enemy is trying to do <laughs> to stop you from fulfilling yes, what he has called you to. Yes, Lord. Mm -hmm. Love. Mm -hmm. Pastor Kevin talked a lot about love today. The power of his love. That the desires that in your heart, that are in your heart, were placed there by him. Mm -hmm. Seek those things and allow those things to bear fruit in your life. There's nothing like it. There's mm -hmm. nothing like it. Lord, we give you thanks for this wonderful message we've heard this morning. This stirring up message. Mm -hmm. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bring that vision. Bring vision into everybody's hearts because every one of us are your sons and daughters. Yes, Lord. And we have the power of the family because we have been chosen. We have the power of the family of God. Don't think about this lightly. Take it for what it really is. Allow him to work through you. Allow those things that have stopped you up until this day from moving in that fullness. Mm -hmm. Allow God to break those things off now mm -hmm. and allow his love to bear fruit in your life and in the vision that he's calling you to. Every one of you, doesn't yes. matter how old you mm -hmm. are or how young you are, God yes, is wanting to birth that vision Jesus. in your spirit right Jesus. now. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You need to go get your kids right now, do so. But we would like to pray for if you if you can stay, don't go away. We'd like to pray with you this morning. If you need to go get your kids, get them before they tear the building apart. And uh, but we'd like to pray over you this morning, so don't leave. And uh, if I could just have some of the elders and stuff come, we just want to take some time. John, you can come down, lay hands on some people and pray this morning as well. God bless you and have an amazing week. Next week, Ken Gill will be here. So bring your seatbelt and get ready to go.